Hey everyone, welcome back to the Jazz Nation podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wallen, and today I am flying solo. Uh, no co-host today, uh, but don't worry, rest assured, my partners in crime, Ty and Gerald, my uh, my guys that I normally co-host this with, uh, they will be back with us for this upcoming season. Uh, I just decided to get a podcast out there. It's been a while since we've done one. Preseason's coming up, and uh, just with scheduling and things, it didn't quite work out to have Ty and Gerald on, uh, but they will be back here uh, joining me soon. But uh uh, for today's show, I actually wanted to discuss a few things. Uh, one of those things is uh, I wanted to discuss my five biggest questions, my biggest and most important questions that I have about this year's Jazz team um, before we get started here in the preseason. Uh, and there's lots of stuff within those five questions that I have, so I'll go through those and discuss those. Uh, but I also wanted to answer a few uh, listener questions that I've received recently on Twitter. Uh, I'll be doing that near the end of the show, um, and we'll, we'll talk about several things uh, with those questions as well. we got some really good ones this time. Uh, some some of the questions are related to lineups for this upcoming season, uh, playing time, uh, who can who who's going to be the most improved player on the roster, uh, who may take a step back on the roster, uh, right? We always like to discuss who's going to be better, but the reality is some players are usually worse <laughs> um, for an NBA team, uh, and so we'll, we'll maybe talk about that a little bit. As unpleasant as that is to to, to 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 think about and to discuss, we always want all of our guys to improve every year, right? But uh, but yeah, we'll touch on that, uh, and then maybe some other questions here related to you know when the Jazz are going to get another star player um, and, and things of that nature. So uh, we'll get to those at the end. Uh, but let's get started here uh, with my my five biggest questions for the season. And please pardon my my voice here if it sounds a little funny. I'm actually just coming off being really sick, so uh, if I cough or uh, I have to clear my throat a little bit or take a break for a drink. Uh, pardon that as we go through these. But uh, with that being said, let's get back to this. So the five big questions for the season for the Utah Jazz. The number one question, and, and I think the most important question for this Jazz team, perhaps, is can they stay healthy? Uh, over 150 total games were missed uh, by players of the Utah Jazz due to injury or illness this past season. Uh, I actually think it's well above that. I was kind of doing a rough count as I went back through the game logs of all the different players and was trying to total up. But, uh, you know, 150, you kind of get to that point, and that's that's all you really need to know and say about that. But but according to InStreetClothes.com, uh, you know, regardless of what the exact number of games, uh, total games missed by Jazz players was this last season, the Jazz lost the ninth most games last season due to injury or illness out of any team in the NBA, uh, which is significant. So you're in the top 10, right? Uh, some of the notable injuries, of course, this past season, Rudy Gobert, right? The most impactful injury that we saw this past season. He missed a total of 26 games. The Jazz went 11 and 15 in those 26 games that he missed. So they were a below 500 team. Uh, for the 26 games that Rudy missed. That's not surprising. We all know the impact that Rudy has defensively and offensively, and that's something we'll get into a little bit later. But that obviously is a huge impact uh, for them last season. Dante Exum as well missed uh, 68 games this past year. Uh, Thabosef Alosha missed an additional 44 games. And then, of course, we had a bunch of uh, other games sprinkled in there from other players like Donovan Mitchell, uh, Ricky Rubio, uh, you know, all sorts of, pretty much everybody on the roster missed some games. I think Joe Ingles might have been the only guy that, that played all 82 games this past season. But, um, you know, 
this this is my big question for them because one we've had injury problems in the past and like i mentioned especially with rudy gobert uh, when he went down we were below 500 team and that, and that's always been kind of the thing that's really held this jazz team back uh, even when hayward was here we we had some bad injury luck there as well and, and to me this this jazz roster is good enough they're talented enough they're going to be well coached enough uh, that they're going to be really really successful this season but in order for that to happen, you have to be healthy. It's, it's not going to do you any good to have Rudy Gobert on your team or Donovan Mitchell on your team and have a great coach and a great system if those guys get hurt, right? If Rudy Gobert is hurt and he's not playing or Donovan Mitchell gets hurt and he's not playing, it does not matter one bit that you have a good team and you're talented and those guys are talented. You have a good system. You're a good coach. you got good fans. You know, and none of that matters. If they're not on the floor, you're, it's going to be extremely hard to win games, especially in the West that's loaded. And, you know, you just have to have that consistency there uh, in order to be successful. Now, depth will help overcome injuries. And there are going to be injuries. I don't want to, you know, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. Every team is going to have injuries. Pretty much every player is going to miss games at some point in the season. But we really, what the what the question is, whether or not we can avoid them big injuries, like a, another Rico Bear injury or, you know, a season-ending injury to, to somebody uh, like Gobert or Mitchell or, you know, any of these other guys that are really important to our team's success. You know, those types of major injuries are the ones that I'm talking about. But, you know, and again, like I was just saying, so the depth of the team will will really help in overcoming any injuries that we're going to sustain and, and the injuries that we will sustain. Um, but you can't be one of those teams that just gets decimated by a major injury or a season-long, a season-long in, uh, in, or season-ending injury like I was just talking about. So to me, that's the number one question, the huge question for the Jazz is whether or not they can stay healthy because if they're not healthy, nothing else is going to matter. Uh, so question number two that I have about this Jazz team moving forward is can they handle the pressure? So last season, uh, they this was just after Gordon Hayward left in free agency. Uh, no one knew who Donovan Mitchell was going to be yet. And, and, and really, the Jazz were in a, in a state of uh, just trying to figure out who they were and, and where they were going to go from there. Because the plan was to have Gordon Hayward be the guy moving forward. And that, that obviously changed things. And, you know, you go back and you look at the preseason projections for last season's Jazz team, their win totals. ESPN had them, had them at 44, uh, 45 wins in that range. USA Today had them at 40 and a half. Uh, that was kind of the line they put out there. The Vegas lines... Uh, from places such as VegasInsider.com and BetOnline.com, they had the Jazz win line all the way down at 38 and a half wins, and uh, Bleacher Report had them at about 45. So none of those really are even close to being a 50-win team, right? Uh, they they were clearly the underdogs this last season, especially as things kind of coalesced uh, after the injuries and everyone came healthy again, and you know Mitch really kind of came into his own. But that's not the case anymore. Right, so so now the question is, well, now what? How how do how do they handle being projected as a top four seed? Uh, how, how are they going to handle uh, the national media attention? Not that they didn't get any last year. I know I got some heat from saying some things about that last season, but you know, how are they going to handle that national pressure? You know, how are they going to handle teams circling that game on their calendar and really putting a target on their back? And, and you know, I think. There's the obvious conversation you can have about how that affects their their performance on the court and if they're going to win uh, under that kind of pressure in those situations. But but to me, I think the biggest and most important question and aspect of that is how does that affect the locker room? 
Uh, how does it affect rotations, right? And I think those things are related, right? Like if you have that pressure on you, your playoff team, you're trying to win 50 plus games, get home court in the playoffs, your rotation is going to be tighter. You're you're not going to play as many guys, right? Like last season, uh, you know, there's a couple different factors that played into this, but we, and we'll talk about this a little bit more here in a sec, but you know, there was a lot of playing time to go around. One, there was a lot of injuries. So a lot of guys got to see the floor for significant amount of time. And then number two, the Jazz were trying to figure out who they were. They were trying to figure out what they could do with the players that they had. Uh, they were trying to explore what their new identity was going to be after Gordon Hayward left. So so I think Quinn and the coaching staff was much more lenient and creative and open about their rotations this past season. But, but now, I mean, you're locked and loaded. You know who you are. You have an identity. You have a direction. I think that's going to tighten up the rotations a lot. And if if you tighten up rotations and you're tightening up minutes for guys, that's going to put more strain in the locker room. You know, last year's locker room was very happy, uh, very go lucky. Everyone loves each other. But you know, is that gonna is that same environment going to sustain itself in this season when guys aren't playing like they were last year? Um, so, so to me, that's the mo- the the most important important aspect of of that question there. And that goes right into my third. Uh, biggest question, most important question for the Jazz is, will the locker room chemistry survive this season? So like I was just talking about, due to injuries, due to the Jazz trying to figure out who they were, who they had on their roster, what kind of talent they had in the wake of Hayward leaving, there was a lot of time to go around this past season. If you go and you look at the Jazz rotations and the minutes that different rotations play, there's 15 different Jazz players that averaged more than 12 minutes per game this last season. Uh, that that's a lot. That's a lot of guys to average at least 12 minutes per game this past season. There's only 13 of them if you remove Joe Johnson and Rodney Hood, uh, but both of those guys were also playing that many minutes before they were traded away, right? Of those 15 players on the Jazz roster this past season that played 12 or more minutes per game, only five of them didn't play in at least 41 games. That would be Joe Johnson, Rodney Hood, Dante Exum, Jay Crowder, and Thabo Cephalosha. Uh, so in other words, of those 15, the five of them that did not play in at least half the games of the season for 12 or more minutes, it's Joe Johnson and Ronnie Hood and Jay Crowder, all guys that got traded or we traded for at the deadline. So that explains why they didn't play more than 41 games. And then the two guys that got hurt, Dante Exum and Thabo Cephalosha, the two guys that had essentially almost season-ending injuries. I mean, Exum's essentially was a season-ending injury other than he was able to come back because it happened in the preseason, he had enough extra time there at the end. You know, Thalbo just had poor timing with his, which did end his, it did indeed end his season. But, but you know, again, like without those, without those circumstances, those guys would have been playing at least half the games of the season for twelve or more minutes per game. Now, maybe I'm crazy, but I think just about everybody on this Jazz roster this season wants to play in at least half the games this year for at least twelve minutes a game. Right, like I don't, I don't think that's crazy to think that Neto would like to play in half the games this year for at least twelve minutes or more. I don't think it's crazy to think that you know Davosefalosha wants to play in half the games this year for twelve minutes or more. Uh, Epe Udo, I don't think it's crazy to think that he wants to play in half the game, the games this year for twelve or more minutes. I'm sure even a guy like Tony Bradley wants to play in half the games this year for twelve or more minutes. I think everyone on this roster wants to wants that uh, for themselves. And, you know, even like a guy like Alec Burks, they talk about him being a great locker room guy and all this. But, you know, this is a contract year for him. I'm sure he and his agent definitely want him playing at least half the games this year for 12 plus more minutes. So, you know, again, if 
if this team's healthy and there's not the extra minutes to go around, that's that's going to be tough for some guys, and that's going to put a lot of strain on the locker room. I mean, you know, what's going to happen if Jay Crowder all of a sudden, you know, he's losing minutes to Cephalosha? What's going to happen to Dante Exum? Uh, if, if he's not, if he's only playing, you know, 15 minutes a night in, inconsistently, he's not playing every night or, uh, you know, uh, Royce O'Neal, for example, you know, he spent all this time with, with Donovan Mitchell in the offseason practicing and, and playing and training with some of the best of the best, you know, going to all these different events. And, you know, what if he wants a bigger role? What if he wants to play more? Uh, you know, there's, there's a serious question whether or not he's going to be able to play half the games this year for 12 or more minutes game. He should, right? He should. And he's gonna have, but he's gonna have to prove it, and he's gonna have to stay consistent in that. So, you know, it's, it's just situations like that that I worry about. You know, whether or not that's gonna allow the locker room chemistry to survive like it did last year, because there's gonna be less minutes unless there's injuries again, which we're hoping that's not the case. But there's gonna be more guys, or just as many guys that are gonna want to play just as much, if not more, uh, minutes than they did this last season. So, to me, that's a huge, huge question because I think if you have locker room problems, that is one of the ways that this jazz season could really implode. Um, right now it's a strength, but you know, if that becomes a weakness, that's an issue and you, you'll have to address that the trade deadline or whatever. But I think that uh, that's something that jazz really need to sustain. And is one of the reasons why they're going to be so good this season. So uh, that is my third question on a uh, big, important question for the jazz this season. So that brings us to my fourth big question for the jazz this season and that question is, can Donovan Mitchell handle the load that he carried this last season for the entire upcoming season? Uh, and so this really boils down to Donovan Mitchell's usage percentage and, and just that massive load that he had to carry for our offense this past year, uh, the massive scoring load that we put on him as, as a rookie. So uh, I, I did some research on this, and I found some things that I thought were kind of interesting. So looking at Donovan Mitchell's rookie year, uh, if, you, if you're looking at minutes played, field goal attempts, usage percentage, all that kind of fun stuff, and how it progressed throughout the season, here's what I found. In the first, and I, and I broke this down into, into four quarters of the season. So each quarter has about 20 to 19 to 21 games. I didn't count the games that he was injured, so I took those out. So that's why some of them are a little bit less and some are a little bit more. But I broke it down, his season down into four quarters, looking at these different aspects of his usage or uh, of the load that he carried for the team this last year. And so what I found was if we're looking at playing time and field goal attempts in the first quarter of the season, so the first 21 games of the season, Donovan Mitchell played about 28 minutes per game and took about, or he took 14 shots per game. Okay. Now you go from quarter one to quarter two, there's a massive jump in quarter two. All of a sudden Mitchell goes up to, nearly 35 minutes a game he increases the number of shots that he shoots by four and 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 specifically the the increase in time that he that he played per game in the second quarter of the season compared to the first he played an additional six and a half minutes which you know it doesn't sound like a lot but you know you tally that up over 19 games compared to the 21 games uh before and that that you know six six minutes and 28 seconds specifically you know more than than per game than he played in the first part of the season. You times that by 19, you know, the amount of games they played in the second quarter. That's a, that's a lot of extra time. Now moving forward into the third quarter of the season, you know, he didn't see a massive jump up like he did from quarter one to quarter two, but he did see a slight increase. He went from 34 minutes and 44 seconds in the second quarter up to 35 minutes and one second in the third quarter. Field goal attempts stayed the same in 18 per game. Uh, so he was holding pretty steady right there. But, I mean, that's a full load 
for a, a starting uh, caliber player in, in, in the league. And then from quarter three to quarter four, though, he took another jump. Again, not nearly as big as quarter one to quarter two, but from quarter three to quarter four, he increased his playing time by an additional 58 seconds, so up to 35 minutes and 59 seconds per game. And he increased his shots per game by one, right? So how does that relate to usage? Well, if we go and look at the quarters of the season again, first quarter of the season, Donovan Mitchell's usage percentage was 27.83%. His peak was 39.2%. That was the, the highest usage percentage he had in a single game during that first quarter. But Overall usage percentage for the first quarter is 27.83%. Second quarter, usage percentage jumps by 1.26%, all the way up to 29.09%, with a peak of 40.40% in a single game, which is crazy, okay? So now he's up, I mean, that's 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 up in, we're talking, you know, Steph Curry-type usage percentage now, okay, in, in the second quarter of the season. From the second quarter of the season to the third quarter of the season, he was essentially the same. Okay, uh, although he did have a lower peak, which I, I found interesting. Uh, and then from the third quarter to the fourth quarter, he essentially, again, stayed the same. So he was kind of hovering right around that 29% usage rate for the last three quarters of the season compared to the first quarter of the season. Okay, well, here's the thing. So I, I just went through all this mumbo-jumbo number stuff, right? Essentially, the summary of that is he increased his playing time by almost seven and a half minutes. Uh, comparative from the first quarter of the season to the last three quarters of the season. He increased his field goal attempts by about four, uh, comparing the last three quarters of the season to the first. And his usage percentage, he bumped it up about 1.5% uh, in the last three quarters of the season compared to the first. Well, here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. You go and you look at the players this past NBA season that compare to Donovan Mitchell's usage percentage, playing time, field goal attempts, all those things that we just talked about. They compared to him, uh, his numbers in the last three quarters of the season when he was playing starters minutes, he was the number one guy, all that stuff. Here's the list of players that Donovan Mitchell compares to in usage percentage, okay? These are the guys that, these are the guys that have as much usage as he did this last season or above. Steph Curry... At 29.8%. Now keep in mind, Donovan Mitchell's usage percentage for the last three quarters of the season was 29.3%. Steph Curry, 29.8%. Victor Oladipo, 30%. Devin Booker, 30.9%. Damian Lillard, 30.1%. Kyrie Irving, 30.7%. LeBron, 31.6%. Westbrook, 33.2%. James Harden, leader in the NBA last season usage percentage. 36.1%, okay? Well, now here's the thing, okay? And this is is where it relates back. The whole point of this analysis was to this point, okay, of of whether or not Donovan can handle this type of usage and and load uh, for this upcoming season. So here's the thing. You go back, you look at these players, the total number of games that they played, okay, those players I just went through. James Harden, total games played last year, 72. Russell Westbrook, 80. LeBron James, 82. Kyrie Irving, 60. Damian Lillard, 73. Devin Booker, 54. Victor Oladipo, 75. Steph Curry, 51. So other than Westbrook and LeBron, none of them played 80 plus games and none of them played more than 75. In fact, you know, you looked at guys like Curry, he played 51. You look at Booker, he played 54. 
Uh, Kyrie played 60. So there's three that played 60 or less games this past season. Now, I'm not saying that high usage percentage leads to more injuries uh, or it, or it uh, it's going to cause injuries, okay? But it is a very concerning correlation uh, that you see here with usage percentage and and games missed. And in fact, you even look at Westbrook, who played 80, right? Played 80 games this past season. Well, he just had knee surgery this offseason, right? I mean, so he's going to miss some games this year. Uh, so really, really the only guy in that list who who is going to end up being okay and coming out of that all right is LeBron freaking James, the Terminator who played all 82 games this past season. All the rest of the guys are going to end up you know, playing 70, 75 or less games, right? And Victor Oladipo is a guy who played 75, and he's kind of built like a mini LeBron, right? So, um, so you know, it, it's concerning to see that, you know. It, and you even go to the playoff usage percentage for Donovan Mitchell this last year at 31.5%. I mean, that would put him up at LeBron's usage rate. There would only be LeBron, Westbrook, and Harden who had a higher usage rate than, uh, than Mitchell this past season compared to the playoff usage percentage that Mitchell had uh, this last year. So, you know, again, I, I I really think the Jazz need to find a way to not put such a heavy load on Donovan Mitchell because I think you're going to wear him out, and I think it's it's going to be too hard on him uh, for the whole season, and I think that's going to cause him to miss some games. Now, again, I can't say high usage rate leads to injuries. I, I'm not saying there's a direct link between that, but that the correlation is strong. Okay, you go look at the rest of the list, even guys below Donovan, just slightly below. They missed a lot of games this last season, too, and have a history of injury problems, okay? Uh, so there is a strong correlation there. So I think it's going to be important for the Jazz to figure that out, find a way to use him correctly, and to let him do his thing and be amazing and all that, but to not use him so at such a high rate, play him less minutes, uh, decrease his usage percentage. And, and part of that's going to be on Donovan. He's got to find a way to be more efficient, right? Uh, if, if Donovan's more efficient in... in and his scoring and all those things, he's going to be able to do just as much as he did last year, if not more, but with less effort and with less possessions and with less usage usage percentage. And hopefully, if the Jazz are playing really, really well, he won't have to play as much. You know, you look at Golden State, one of the reasons why they've been so successful is because they just blow teams out of the water. They get all their guys out <laughs> off the floor, and, and they save their legs. They save their health. They, they don't risk that kind of stuff. So, you know, hopefully the Jazz... Or in some more situations like that, so you're not having to play Donovan Mitchell, you know, 36 minutes a night, taking, uh, you know, 20 plus shots a night, and having a usage rate, you know, that's top 10 in the league, and, and it's just going to wear him down. So, you know, again, um, that's that's my fourth biggest question for the Jazz moving forward is is can Donovan handle the load this year? Yeah, you know, and I would say as a subset question of that, you know, how are the Jazz going to help him uh, so he doesn't have to carry such a heavy load? Related to that, it uh, goes into my fifth question for the Jazz uh, the, for this upcoming year, and that's who's going to step up. Uh, you know, th- this cannot be just the Rudy and Donovan show. Uh, and like I just mentioned, you you can't just ride Donovan like you did in the playoffs. You can't have Donovan with a usage percentage of thirty one and a half percent. That's just not going to work. Uh, you know, and again, like related back to my most important thing, if you can't stay healthy. You know, you're and you're wearing Donovan down, and that's that's not that's not good. That's not what you want to do. So, uh, you know, is is Ricky Rubio going to take another step? Uh, is Derek Favors going to take another step? Is Dante Exum going to be the guy that comes in and steps up and and find a way finds a way to help the team? You know, uh, there's there's so many guys on this team that that have that potential, 
but it's just a matter of, of who's going to do it, who's going to step up and help this team uh, because we can't always rely on Rudy and Donovan, you know, especially if they do have injuries like they did this past season. Uh, you know, we need we need other guys to step up. So that would be my final question. You know, who's who's going to be the guys that really step up and help those guys um, uh, get the team where they need to get? But just to review, so my five questions for the Jazz. Number one, can they stay healthy? Number two, can they handle the pressure? Number three, will the locker room chemistry survive this season? Number four, can Donovan Mitchell handle the load? Number five, who's going to step up? And here, I'll give you two bonus questions for, this, for the upcoming season, okay? Uh, I didn't include this in my top five, but, you know, I probably should have because this is one of my biggest questions that I have uh, from, from, from looking at last year's team compared to this year's team. So here's the two bonus questions. Bonus question number one, will the offense improve? Bonus question number two, if so, by how much? Okay, and just some quick notes on this. So last year, the Jazz had an offensive rating of 106.2. That was 15th best in the NBA, okay? But here's the thing. Only a 1.4 difference was between Utah, the 15th best offense in the league this past season, and Oklahoma City, who was the 10th best offense in the league this last season. And there was only a 1.6 difference between Utah, again, 15th in the league this past season, and the Milwaukee Bucks, who were the seventh best at 107.8 in their offensive rating this past season. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, number one, I think we can all agree that the Jazz are going to be a top two defensive team in the NBA. Okay, At least they should be, unless something catastrophically horrible goes wrong. They should be a top two defense in the league. Okay, So that's taken care of. Now, if the Jazz really want to be as good as they're, they're thinking they can be, as people are projecting them to be, if they really want to be a legit top four seed in the West, if they want to try and be a contender uh, this season or, or sometime soon, you need, to have, you need to have their elite defense, but you also need to have an elite offense. Okay, 15th best average offense, that's pretty good. You're going to win a lot of games with that. But if you really, really want to be that great team, then you got to have a top 10 offense. And really, if you're a top five offense and you're a top five defense, then you're a championship contender, right? And that's not totally out of the question. Like I just said, there's only a 1.6 difference between Utah last season at 15th and the Milwaukee Bucks who were at seventh, which, you know, they're essentially, you know, hanging right around the top five. So that's pretty close. So uh, so the, to me, a, a huge question is, is the Jazz's offense. And, you know, again, related to what that last question I had, who's going to step up? Where's that improvement in their offense going to come from, right? And I and I agree with Locke and with Coach Snyder and all these other guys that have been talking about this that you know it's not going to take a whole lot to get that improvement uh, to get the Jazz to be a top ten team. It's only going to take small improvements like Jay Crowder hitting his career averages. Uh, not you know he 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 definitely was below his career averages this last year. If he is shooting a little bit better and, and making uh, you know one more three a game and scoring around the rim better, you know something as small as that could help and get you close to being up there into the top 10. Uh, Rubio making one more three a game. Uh, Donovan Mitchell improving his efficiency, which will be important. Uh, back to my other question about him uh, not having to carry such a heavy load or at least efficient, carry more efficiently, I should say. Uh, you know, just little improvements like that. You know, the Jazz aren't that far off. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good things that were already happening this past season that would lead you to believe that this is possible. You know, you look at, the, the games that the Jazz played once Rudy Gobert came back from his injury. You know, he, he came back in game 45 of this past season. And after he came back and was reinserted into the lineup, the Jazz had an offensive rating of 111.3. Uh, you know, that would be, that would, that would have been for sure top, top, uh, top five offense this past season, right? 
you know, and there's a question of, you know, how real is that? You know, they, they played a lighter schedule. Uh, you know, teams are tanking that time of year, you know, things of that nature. But, you know, if you believe that's real, you think the Jazz can get up to 111 offensive rating for this this new year, especially if they're healthy, I mean, then you, then they're a legit championship contender, not just, uh, you know, a top four seed in the West, but they're a championship contender. So, uh, you know, that to me is going to be really interesting to see, especially, you know, how are they going to use Donovan differently this year? I've already talked about that some, but, you know, a lot of X's and O's stuff, you know, even Dante X, how are they going to use him? Are they going to use more step-up screens, which is a, a flat screen that's coming up from uh, from below so the it gives uh, the guard a, a choice to either go right or left and uh, is better for downhill attacking. You know, is that something they're going to do more with the strengths of Donovan and Dante being more of an attacking style like that? You know, uh, uh, changing the angle on screens, the Jazz or something, that's something they're really good at already. But, you know, again, like a lot of pick and roll type X's and O's type stuff. How are they going to work on little things like that to get those little marginal gains in their offense? I think will be really, really interesting. So, uh, so yeah, so those are my two bonus questions. Uh, for you guys just to, that's something to keep an eye on as we move forward in the season because I think the defense will be there it's just a matter of will the offense be there but yeah that so that wraps up my questions uh, for the Jazz heading into this this upcoming season here uh, so hopefully that wasn't too you know stat number geeky stuff hopefully that made sense hopefully I didn't repeat myself too much but uh, but yeah I think I think those things are all going to be very very important here for the for the Jazz moving forward but uh, but I did want to uh, hear just real quickly before we close this out I did want to uh, I did want to answer some questions from some of our great listeners uh, that were sent to me on Twitter. Uh, and if you aren't following me on Twitter already, you can follow me at Mark Wallen NBA. It's spelled M A R K W A H L E N N B A at Mark Wallen NBA. Uh, but yeah, so let's get into some of these. Um, so the first one is from Don of a Mitch forty five. I really appreciate that name. That's pretty funny. Uh, but Don of a Mitch. 45 uh, his question was how many different lineups and rotations will Quinn have this season uh well <laughs> I, I kind of talked about this earlier but um you know I think to begin the year he's gonna have a lot um because I, I think he is gonna kind of play around with the rotations a little bit just to see which ones work which ones don't work you know hopefully a lot of that gets figured out in preseason because with the Jazz schedule being so hard up here at the beginning I think you don't really have a whole lot of time to play around with that um, but you know, you know, after that, I think, I think he's going to lock in on some things, some rotations early on. And that, and that's going to be what we can expect moving forward unless injuries or something happens. Um, just because, you know, the jazz, they are a playoff team. They, they can't afford, especially here at the beginning, they can't afford to, to mess around. They, they have to come out and win these games. They play a ton of Western conference teams here at the beginning. And, and all those games are going to be key, you know? Um, it's so funny how people always try and make the games at the end of a season uh, seem like they matter more uh, just because they have the relativity of the playoff race and all that at the time. But but the truth of the matter is these games here at the beginning are just as important as the games here at the, at the end. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, you know, the Jazz just missed the playoffs. You know, the, the infamous Kobe Bryant game, his last game of the season, just missed the playoffs that year. Well, if you go back and you look, there was a couple games early in that year, I, I believe against the Clippers, um, that they had lost, uh, they had lost a game against the Clippers, and I think there was another one that they lost early in the year to another Western Conference playoff team that they were kind of in that race with. And uh, you know, people always look back at that season. They look at that Clipper loss at the end of the year when the when the bare bones Clipper roster came in and beat the Jazz on their home floor, when they essentially left everybody at home except for their bench, and the Clippers bench smoked them. Uh, they look at that as really being the, the the game that the Jazz lost and blew 
blew it on uh, for that season making the playoffs. But the truth is the Clipper game early in the season was just as impactful. It, it sure felt worse with that game at the end of the year and with, you know, the relative, uh, you know, knowledge of, of knowing that those guys had been left at home. But, you know, the mat- the truth of the matter is the Clippers still had beaten them a couple times that year. And, and one of those wasn't necessarily more uh, valuable or impactful than the other, right? So, so you know, again, <laughs> the Jazz really got to value these, game- these games here at the beginning and make and make it happen. So they got to figure out the rotation quickly and they got to make it work. And also, too, I think in large part, you know, I've already talked about the, the injury thing. You know, injuries will dictate lineups a lot. But also development, player development will dictate a lot. So it depends a lot on, you know, guys like Exum, uh, even Grayson Allen, our rookie, uh, Royce O'Neal, uh, Jay Crowder, Derek Faber, some of these uh, some of these guys that we've had on here for a while. You know, it, it depends on how much they've improved and how well they're playing, right? Like, if, if Grayson Allen is a baller and he's playing well, you you got to find time to play him because he's going to help you win games. Uh, same thing, Royce O'Neal. It's like last season, he found he just found time on the floor because he helped the Jazz win games, right? And so if you if you're having several guys doing that for you this season, an abundance of them, then maybe Quinn does loosen up the rotations and he has uh, more of a, a free flowing rotation. Maybe it's a nightly thing depending on matchups or whatever. But you know you could see him use a lot of rotations if a lot of guys are playing well. Uh, but you know again, I think that's hard to sustain, especially if there's not a lot of consistency to it. And that will lead to locker room problems and all that junk. So, so yeah. So we'll, we'll kind of see. But those are two of the factors that I would keep in uh, keep in mind. But with with that is is injuries and then player development. And then you know, of course, the other one is just the Jazz got to they got to come out swinging from the beginning. So, uh, but thanks for the question, Donovan Mitch forty five. Appreciate it. Uh, Kirk McKee thirteen. Uh, he asked, when will the Jazz get a third top thirty player, and who will it be? Uh, so. Pretty simply, I won't get into it too too much because that's pretty far away. Uh, but it's going to be next off season, and it's going to be Chris Middleton <laughs> um, or Tobias Harris, uh, one of those two. Um, Tobias Harris, I actually was just doing a top 100 NBA player list. I don't believe I could probably pull it up here real quick, but I don't believe I had him in my top 30. Um, he's close. I think he's in the top 40 uh, on my list. But Chris Middleton, I believe I had at number 30. Uh, so if you're looking for a top 30 guy, Chris Middleton is the one you can sign him in free agency. You don't have to trade any assets for him. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He fits exactly what we want to do. He's a great scorer. I think he averaged like 26 points a game this past season. Great three-point shooter, great defender. Uh, he can do some playmaking out of the pick and roll a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's great. He'd be fantastic. You know, Justin Zanuck, assistant, assistant general manager that came back from Milwaukee after his time there, kind of ended all weirdly. He, I'm sure he knows Middleton well and has all the inside information and the health information. You know, one of the things with Middleton, you know, he does have some health concerns. Uh, he uh, he tore his hamstring, I believe. Uh, it was some kind of a hamstring. I'm trying to remember if he tore it or if it was an evolution fracture. But anyways, he had a significant hamstring injury not that long ago, but... Uh, he did come back and have a killer season this last year. Should have been an all-star this last year in the East. Uh, he will be one here this year if he's if he's healthy. But, uh, but yeah, Chris Middleton would be the guy I'd say. Uh, Tobias Harris to be your backup plan. Don't don't try and think Jimmy Butler. Don't try and think any of these other guys. The Jazz, I have a hard time imagining the Jazz are going to trade for anybody of that caliber unless something comes up. Like, I'm sure they'd love to trade for Middleton and secure uh, that, uh, that opportunity uh, before – 
uh, the free agency begins, so they don't have to risk going into the open market and trying to convince him. But uh, not that they wouldn't have to do that anyways, but uh, they would definitely have some advantages uh, bringing him in this year if they could make a trade for him. But but the Jazz don't really need to do that. They're going to have a great team this year. They're going to have the cap space next year. Uh, so they, they don't really need to sell out on any assets or anything like that. So, you know, maybe in an auto Porter Jr., but, you know, he's not nearly as good as Chris Middleton or Tobias Harris. Well, I shouldn't say not nearly as good. He's in the same ballpark. But, but Middleton and Harris are both guys that are better. And, uh, you know, you can get Middleton and Harris on the contract that you want. And, uh, you know, they're better players. So, yeah, I think those two are the guys that you can you can keep an eye on there. So, um, but, yeah, great question. I know that's a lot of, a lot of people are always wondering that. But, uh, but, yeah, so thanks, Kurt. Appreciate it. All right, uh, Ryan Matson. Um, he asked, who do you think will be in the conversation for most improved for the team this year? And what players do you see taking steps back? Okay. Great. I love this question. Uh, so thanks for the question, Ryan. So um, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but to me, the guy that I could see being the most improved player this year uh, is Jay Crowder. If, if, you, if you look at Jay's season this past year um, and, and you compare it to his career averages, Jay didn't have a great year this last year. Um, you know, you look, let me just read through some of these. Uh, field goal percentage last year for the Jazz was at uh, 38%. If you round up 39%, his career average is 43%. If you look at his three-point shooting percentage last year for the Jazz, it was uh, 32%. Career average is 34%. Um, Two-point field goal percentage for Jay Crowder last year for the Jazz, 46%. His career average is 51 uh, Effective field goal percentage, 47% last year for the Jazz, 51% for his career. Um, so, you know, and, and there's there's some other things in here. Uh, like uh, the, you know that are that are closer to his career averages, but you know, offensively speaking, and and some might even argue defensively speaking, last year for the Jazz, you know, compared to what his career is, he he was off, right? And so you know, if you can get a guy like Jay, who who can come in and improve and get back to his career averages, and and this has been talked about extensively uh, as to why Jay may have taken such a step back last year with. You know the the passing away of his mom, with getting traded from Boston, and then things not working out in Cleveland, and then coming here, and he was out of shape before the season. You know, all those things may come into may have came into play, and if all those things are corrected, and Jay comes, you know, which it, it sounds like he has, but he comes to camp well conditioned and, and and better state of mind mentally, and he gets back to his career averages, and that's going to make a huge impact on the Jazz, and that's a huge jump. Like, don't get me wrong, like if if you go from you know, just look at like his effective field goal percentage, right? Uh, if he goes from 47% effective field goal percentage up to 51, that's a massive jump. A lot of guys don't do that from like a year to year thing improvement. Like that's, that's, that's quite a significant jump, right? Like if, if Donovan Mitchell improves his, his field goal percentages or his true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage by that same margin, then Donovan is like, having a he's gonna have an amazing year like that's that's a pretty large jump even though it sounds like it's 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 pretty marginal so uh you know and the interesting thing too is like it he he could even jump higher than that though like if you go back a couple years ago to the 2016-2017 season you know that's really with boston with jay crowd that's really when he was cooking i mean his effective field goal percentage back then was 57 percent compared to his career of 51 percent right uh, his three-point shooting percentage that year in 16-17 with Boston was 40% on five-and-a-half attempts per game, right? Compare that to his career averages of 
34% three-point shooting on three and a half attempts per game, right? And with the Jazz, you know, this past season, five and a half attempts per game at 32%, right? Like, if 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 Jay can increase his three-point shooting, uh, keeping that same volume at five and a half attempts per game, that's great. Uh, but he can get all the way up to 40%? Holy crap. That, like, that in of itself could be a massive game changer for the Jazz and their offense. And then if he's playing better defensively, you know, all these different things that he can improve on, especially knowing the system more, being more comfortable, all these different things. I mean, Jay could could really be the key to the season outside of, you know, Donovan Mitchell and and Rudy Gobert, which, you know, those are the obvious ones. But Jay could really be the key to this team uh, taking that next step forward and really being something special. Uh, if he can, if he can find a way to get back to even just his career averages, but if he can definitely, if he can get back to that 16, 17 Boston version of himself, holy crap, you know, the NBA better watch out. Um, because you know, that could, that could really be something amazing, but so yeah, you know, Jay Crowder, definitely, definitely my pick for that. I think we're going to, I think he's going to have a great year. Um, but then I, I would also say Royce O'Neal, you know, like I, I kind of alluded to this earlier as well, but he's been hanging out with Donovan going to all these starts of training camps with elite players in the league and, you know, just even just training with Donovan himself. And, you know, Royce just has that right mentality where he's going to work hard. He's going to do what's right. I think he understands his role on the team. But, you know, you look at Royce, if you know, obviously his defense is going to be there, right? But if, if Royce can improve his three-point shooting, you know, again, this last season he only took one and a half attempts per game and he shot, uh, what, 36% from, from three. If he can bump that up, if he can just take even like one – one and a half more attempts per game and bump his percentage, three-point shooting percentage up to like 38%, that's a huge, that's going to be a huge impact on the Jazz for the positive. I mean, that that could really be something. And then if he's able to improve his playmaking in the pick and roll, uh, you know, he was already really underrated in that, by the way. That's something about his game not a lot of people talked about. That's one of the reasons why the Jazz liked him so much is because he's able to handle the ball and run the pick and roll. He's a very smart player. He's a very capable passer. But if he can, you know, kind of start <laughs> absorbing some of Joe Ingles' elite pick and roll uh, playmaking abilities, not saying he'll get to that level, but if he can, you know, improve in that, you know, a step or two and, and the Jazz can have that diversity in their offense when he's on the floor, I mean, that that is, that's going to be a, a big impact as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Royce has had a good offseason. I think he's going to come in hungry with a lot of things to prove. I think he's going to want to de- want to play and he's going to demand playing time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Royce O'Neal would be the other guy that I'd pick as well, but... Uh, guys that could uh, potentially step back. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people are going to hate me for these two, but um, Dabasefalosha definitely is a guy that I think could step back. I mean, the reality is uh, Dabo's not young. He's not getting any younger. He was, what, 33 last year. He's going to be 34 this year. Just came off a major knee injury. He's already got a sprained ankle and uh, before the season's even started. Um, you know, at some point, age is going to catch up to him. I see him playing more of like a Joe Johnson role where he just comes in, uh, you know, 12 minutes a game, maybe. Uh, maybe not even play half the games this year. You know, I, I know the Jazz love him. I know Tony Jones has been saying a lot about how he's going to play and the Jazz want to play him. And that's fantastic. I love Seth Losh. I, I was all about him coming here as a free agent. Uh, I was super bummed when he got hurt. He was a very impactful player for the Jazz. But, you know, just the nature of getting older and your body breaking down, I think it's going to be hard for him to continue to, to play at a high level, especially if he's playing, you know, 22 minutes a night or something like that. I think you really got to play him more of like a specialist in matchups and play him about 15, uh, 12 to 15 minutes a night and then give him nights off as well. So, uh, and you know, you look at his, you look at his year last year, he was having a killer year, um, you know, shooting, you know, almost 50% from the field, 
Um, he, his effective field goal percentage was really high. True shooting percentage was really high. Uh, he was getting to the free throw line. He you know played good defense. He was rebounding extremely well, about four rebounds per game, which is really impressive, especially because he was playing with Favors and Rudy. Uh, his three-point shooting percentage is at 38%, right? I mean, his career average is 35%. Um, on uh, the last year, he took two attempts per game. I don't know if that's sustainable, um, especially because you know you you look at last year's thirty eight percent. The year before that, he was thirty four. The year before that, he was thirty four. The year before that, he was thirty two. I mean, that was kind of an anomaly uh, of a season. You you have to go all the way back to two thousand twelve and thirteen and eleven and twelve, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, uh, to find a year in which Cephalosha shot that well uh, of a percentage from three. So. Um, so yeah, I, I think Cephalosha is a guy that could take a step back, and then likewise, uh, Joe Ingles, just you know, same thing. I, I I really don't expect him to take a step back, but just because he is older, he did play all 82 games this last season. I don't know if he gets that lucky again with his health. He may or may not start having some injury problems. If that happens, I think he's a player that's really going to struggle uh, if he's if he's pretty banged up with something. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's been consistent with his shooting for a few years now. Uh, I, 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 at some point he's going to, he's going to fall off. It, it probably is not going to be this year. Let me just be clear. But at some point, you know, two, three years from, from now, uh, he's going to see a fall off, but you know, it could be this year if, if he has injury problems. So, uh, those would be my two guys that could potentially take a step back, but, uh, but great questions. Uh, Ryan, so appreciate that. Uh, Alex, the great, uh, great Alex here. He's got a question. His question is, why do you think the jazz uh, had such a mellow offseason. Well, I think it depends on how you define mellow or boring, right? We're not talking Carmelo. We're talking uh, like boring mellow. Um, because, you know, honestly, if you look at the free agency class this last offseason, we ended up signing some of the better and more exciting free agents. Like, there wasn't really like, a ton of really exciting and great free agents out there. Um, yes, they were our own free agents, but that doesn't mean we should see that as any less exciting. Uh, or or positive, right? Um, you know, Derek Favors was a great free agent pickup. Dante Exum, you know, it, it, we'll see what happens, but he could be amazing, right? That could, that could be one of the best uh, signings of, of this past offseason. So I think, uh, you know, it, it really kind of depends on your perspective and the viewpoint which you're looking through. Um, but, you know, it's like you think on the flip side of that, you know, what if we didn't re-sign those guys? Uh, how much worse of a spot would we be in, right? Like we we would be much less excited and much more worried about this team than if uh, than we are otherwise. So, so yeah, I, I thought they had a good off season, and you know maybe not exciting in the terms of changing things up, but sometimes changing things up is not good. <laughs> you get excited about it, but you end up losing more games. So, um, so yeah, that's that's how it adds to that. But good question, Alex. Um, all right, so uh, let's see. Last question here, I think, um, kind of running out of time, but Mike Hobbs. Uh, he asked the question of, will Gobert and Mitchell both be all-stars this season? Um, okay, so let's do this. Let's go through last season's all-stars from the Western Conference, okay? So here's okay. So here's the all-stars from the Western Conference this past year. DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, LaMarcus Aldridge, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry, James Harden, Jimmy Butler, Draymond Green, Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson, Carl Anthony Towns. So, who who's Gobert going to replace? And who's Donovan going to replace? So, DeMarcus Cousins, off, right? Not making it again. Um, then, who are you taking off from there? Uh, LaMarcus, maybe? Um, I guess Jimmy Butler, right? If he gets straight out east. So, there's two. 
right? So there's two spots, right? Like you could you could you could figure that out. Um, you, you would you you'd make that work, right? But here's the thing: who else is going to be competing for a spot in the West? So here are the other guys that did not. Here are the other guys that did not make the All Star team in the West this last year who are going to be competing for a spot: Nikola Jokic, Clint Capella, Chris Paul, LeBron freaking James. Mark Gasol, Mike Connolly, Drew Holiday, DeAndre Jordan, DeMar DeRozan, CJ McCollum, Lou Williams, and I could go on, right? So, um, so yeah, it's going to be pretty much impossible for both of them to make it, I think, just, just because of the sheer volume of all-star caliber players in the West. Not that they shouldn't both deserve to make it this, this year. Um, they probably should, especially if the Jazz are really cooking in their top three team or top four team in the West. Um, but I, I, I just think it's gonna be really hard to sell, <laughs> sell the NBA and and voters and everything on 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 getting them both there when you have guys like Jokic and Chris Paul and LeBron and you know all these other guys and CJ McCollum and DeRozan and you know and then all the guys that were on the team last year. I mean that that's that's gonna be really tough. One of them should make it for sure. Um, I should say both should make it. One of them will make it for sure. How about that? Um, yeah, great question there. Uh, Mike Hobbs, appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us today. Um, we're, we're getting close here to the end. It went a little bit longer than I meant to, but that's all right. Uh, but hopefully that was, that was good stuff for you guys. Hopefully that all made sense. and was interesting. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys, our listeners. So please feel free to send us your questions. Uh, be, be sure to reach out to me on Twitter. And also, if you're interested in coming on to the show for a guest segment, uh, for some Q&A, just to give some of your thoughts, please contact me through Twitter. And again, you can follow me on Twitter at MarkWallenNBA. It's spelled M-A-R-K-W-A-H-L-E-N-N-B-A. So MarkWallenNBA. And then uh, also be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can find us under uh, the Jazz Nation podcast. Uh, you can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much all these other places you can get your podcasts. Uh, we may or may not be on Google Play. I have to double check on that. Last time I checked, there was they're having some technical issues with that on there, and so I'll double check there. But uh, yeah, be be sure to subscribe, and uh, please be sure to give us a five star rating on iTunes, and feel free to share the show with those of your friends or family members or other people that you know to be interested. It really really helps us out. And then also uh, be sure to check out our new website called the Five by Five dot com. Um, the first five spelled out, second five is the number five, so the spelled out five by number five dot com uh, for all of your NBA draft analysis, uh, your NBA season analysis. We got more podcasts on there. We have our own podcast network, uh, more jazz stuff, all that kind of stuff. We got all sorts of crazy good stuff on there. So go check out our stuff at the five by five dot com. And lastly, be sure to check out the other podcast that I'm involved with called The Alpha Build. It's a weekly podcast focused on the latest gaming, tech, movies, and TV show headlines. You can find The Alpha Build on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much any other podcast catcher app or website out there. And also be sure to check out our website for that uh, called blackarrowstudios.com. But thanks for joining us this week. we got preseason uh, here on Saturday. Super stoked. I'll be at the game. I'll have all sorts of analysis uh, from the preseason. Maybe I'll do one more podcast before that, that game starts here. But thanks for joining us, and go Jazz.